Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and today we'll be examining the topic of the most recent issue of Strategica. After the end of sanctions by the West, will Iran succeed in its efforts to find state legitimacy with Europe and the United States? And we are joined today by the author of one of the pieces in this issue, Angelo Cotavilla, Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Angelo, thank you for being with us. You're most welcome. So before we get to the present and the future, let me start you on the recent past. I'm going to read you something. This is from last June, President Obama announcing that a deal had been reached with Iran, quoting here, Today, because America negotiated from a position of strength and principle, we have stopped the spread of nuclear weapons in this region, close quote. And Angelo, I know that you could probably spend the whole podcast dissecting that one statement, but I am especially interested in your take on that one clause because America negotiated from a position of strength. There's an implication there that the U.S. sort of brought Iran to heel. Is that how you read the reality of this deal? No. The reality of the deal is that uh, President Obama and his European partners negotiated, if you can call it that, uh, from internal uh, imperatives. Uh, There was nothing that Iran was doing or that they demanded that Iran do that caused the the, uh, the relief from sanctions and the turnover of 100 to $150 billion in, in uh, frozen funds. Uh, this this uh, negotiation, this change in relations, proceeded uh, strictly from the desire of American business uh, and of the administration, American business to, to, and European business for more business with Iran, and for the American administration to call and the European uh, governments to claim some kind of success to get the uh, the issue of Iranian nuclear weapons off the front pages. And you emphasize in your piece this fact about the the reality that America was not responding to any change in Iranian behavior. You say there. Iran had not changed the behavior that had led to the imposition of sanctions, neither its nuclear program nor its leadership of the Shia side in the current round of the Sunni-Shia war. Now, many of our listeners may have an intuitive sense of what you mean there when you say a Sunni-Shia war, but that's not the way that politicians or the press refer to it. Explain the dynamics of that war for our audience, if you will. That is really the main reality of the Middle East today. It is not the Arab-Israeli conflict. It is the fact that uh, uh, Iran is uh, is at the head of of um, the, the hopes and fears of uh, the roughly fifteen oh, percent uh, of the world's Shia of the world Muslims who are, who practice the Shia sect of Islam. And who have um, and who live primarily, except for Iran, for in Iran, live in Muslim majority countries, or or in some cases live in Shia majority countries ruled by Muslims and are tr- by Sunni Muslims and are trying to uh, to get 
either uh, more elbow room for themselves, uh, better lives for themselves, or simply venting their hatreds. Now, the Syrian civil war is, of course, the prime current uh, example on the front pages of the Sunni Shia war, but the the uh, war that was going on in, inside Iraq between 2003 and, and continues to this day is uh, yet another manifestation of the Sunni Shia, Shia war, the war that is going on between um, uh, Saudi Arabia and Yemen is yet another, and of course uh, ISIS is the is one of the manifestations of um, uh, of the Sunni sides' um, uh, desire to to uh, further oppress, if not physically, to annihilate the Shia side. Angelo, there's a school of thought in the West. That when they see the regime in Iran leading chance of death to America, they say, look, you know, these guys running the show in Tehran are cynical. So they're whipping up the mob to keep them focused on the outside enemy instead of the internal defects. But at the end of the day, they're just as capable of the realpolitik calculations as we are. They know they'd be in the crosshairs if they ever took a serious swing at Israel or the US. This is all for domestic consumption. How do you react to that line of thought? Well, that is entirely true. That, that uh, they know, these these are bright people who know that uh, they're taking a serious swing at uh, the United States or Israel would be the end of them, and so they're not going to do that. But the question is, how serious a swing would would um, uh, would bring forth such a reaction from from the United States and the rest of the West? And the most interesting, the most significant thing about the so-called Iran deal is that by making it, the United States and Europe have said, look, you have got a great deal of, uh, of freedom in how big a swing you take. You, we, are, we have committed ourselves so much to such an extent to saying that things have now worked, worked themselves out between us that we are not going to denounce. Uh, we're not going to do anything about almost anything that you do. And Iran has been testing the limits of that greater um, latitude that it has to work against us. Clearly, what they did by capturing uh, uh, American sailors and, and humiliating them is, is one example. Their gratuitous uh, uh, brandishing of their ballistic missile program and their continuous, continuous increase of that is another. In that regard, I call everyone's attention to the testimony recently given by the, the um, Under Secretary of State uh, for Policy of the United States to, to the, uh, the U.S. Senate, in which uh, he was asked to be his House of Representatives, I'm sorry, in which he was asked repeatedly uh, whether uh, Iran intends to, to put nuclear weapons on its ballistic missiles, whether it intends to make nuclear weapons as best it can. Uh, he continued, to, he hemmed and hawed and was forced to admit that, in fact, they are doing that, uh, but uh, and that we, we really have no control. There's nothing that we could do to stop them. There's certainly nothing that the administration plans to do to stop them because doing so would impeach its judgment in making this deal in the first place. And that is the primary point 
for my article. I want to put you on the other side of the negotiating table for a moment. Analyze the Iranians as strategists for me. How have they played their hand here? What are their strengths and their weaknesses? Well, they have no uh, no strengths. Uh, their strength is uh, is in realizing exactly what the uh, the West needed, and in playing that for all it was worth. You people, you Americans, uh, you Europeans, need to get this issue off the table. Otherwise, you look bad. And we will make you pay a certain price for doing that. You also need uh, uh, to, to pay us in order to get, uh, to relieve yourselves of the pressure from your business communities. And we will let you do that, but it will cost you. Okay, I, I want you to run me through here sort of two visions of the future. And the first one I'll put to you is this. Come this time next year in 2017, let's say we we have a president who shares your conviction that the Obama administration has bollocks this thing up, that we have to adopt a different posture, that we have to put the Iranians on notice. And Republicans are sort of fond of noting that because of the fashion in which President Obama advanced this deal, the next president could just rip it up if he wanted to. But there will, of course, already be some water over the dam at that point, including this sanctions relief. How constrained would this hypothetical future president be by what's already happened by the time the deal could be revisited? Oh, he could not. He would not be constrained in the slightest. Uh, the deal can be with uh, because the deal requires really only um, actions by the United States that we have any control over. Uh, ripping it up is not a problem. The problem is what to do about the original problem posed by Iran's nuclear program and Iran's bellicosity. And, and here, uh, the, the best answers are economic. I have always thought that um, bombing the Iranian nuclear program was a bad idea because it would only be partially successful. Uh, and would in and of itself not solve anything. Uh, perhaps it might uh, lead Iran into doing something foolish militarily against the United States, which would lead, of course, to a, uh, to, to a, a serious attack on its regime. Uh, but the, the, the easiest way for the United States to, uh, to harm the Islamic Republic is to use our unique economic leverage in the world, that is to say, to simply impose secondary economic sanctions on Iran. I mean, by secondary, it meant not trading on some, with anyone who trades with the, uh, the subject country. Uh, Iran would be starved, quite literally, for everything. No country in the world could afford to cut itself off from the United States in order to have ties with Iran. Iran would be devastated. Uh, this is a very, very, very serious thing to do. It is more serious than bombing. Uh, and one would have to, this would be a test for the president. How serious are you about your rhetoric about keeping uh, nuclear weapons out of Iran's hands? If you are serious, this is what you can do. If you are not serious, then you will do exactly what has been done by presidents of both parties up until now. Talk, talk, talk ever more loudly. 
The reason that President Obama did what he did is that he decided to simply take the issue off the table with a an expensive pretense. We will see as time goes on just how expensive that pretense is. Well, that, that was going to be my next question for you, is to play out the alternative scenario, scenario, essentially sort of a perpetuation of the current status quo. If the U.S. continues on roughly the same trajectory that we're on now vis-a-vis -vis Iran, how do you see that developing over the next couple of years? Well, that is, of course, entirely up to Iran. Uh, what, uh, what we have done uh, here is to give Iran a very clear field of options. Now, Iran has a full plate. Uh, in, in the Middle East. Its primary consideration is not the United States. It is not Israel. It is the great Sunni Shia war. Uh, Iran has, uh, has lost men, has, um, has lost treasure, uh, and is going to lose a lot more in this great war. Uh, Iran does not have a very long time to prosecute this war before its own human resources uh, uh, begin to, to go lacking. So uh, really the, all options are open for Iran, and it had better do them within the next five, ten years perhaps, five years or so. This is the great window of opportunity for Iran. This is its time of maximum strength. How it chooses to use that strength is entirely up to them, not up to us. So the final question that I'll put to you then, of the two scenarios I just gave you, which one strikes you as more likely, that the U.S. just kind of continues coasting on this current trajectory or that we do sort of reach an inflection point and start rethinking this policy in the near future? Uh, I think that uh, the easiest – generally, water uh, flows through the, the, uh, the easiest channel mm. and uh, for the United States – to, uh, to to go seriously to war with Iran would be a very serious departure from everything that has been done. Um, the next president will be hard-pressed to do anything other than what has been done in uh, recent decades. Pretend and hope. That has been our policy. Pretend and hope. For a while, our, our sanctions were biting. And then we abandoned them. Instead of strengthening them, we abandoned them. But hope <laughs> is often not fruitless because an awful lot of things are happening. Uh, and um, war is entirely unpredictable. No one knows how the, um, how, the how, for example, Russia's entry into into the troubles of southeastern Eurasia uh, is likely to play out. Uh, it, yes, it has been helping Iran, but it also has been putting some limits on, on Iran's ambitions. Uh, the answer to your question may very well lie not so much with Iran or with us, but possibly with Russia. We don't know. And I'm sure probably not the last time that you and I will be having this conversation, Angelo. Thank you very much for stopping by today. Our guest has been Angelo Cotavilla. You can read his essay and those by other members of Hoover's Military History Working Group by visiting us online at hoover.org slash strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. 
For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Strategica, and I'm Victor Davis Hanson. 